we have a culture that is constantly consuming more. And this consumption takes away all of our energy and our passion and our strength. Anybody ever get to work, whether you're working from home or you're working from an office, and you sit down and your desk is so messy, you can't even begin to focus on work until you spend like two hours cleaning? And then you're so tired from cleaning, you don't want to work? That's the world we live in in America. And so we as Christians are invited by Jesus to begin to push against that machine, to push against this battle for our stuff and our minds and our souls, to say, that's not what I want to consume me. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. It is really good to be here with you today. My name is Adam, and I'm the pastor here at The Point. And I don't know about you, but I find myself during the week really looking forward to Sunday. And some Sundays I wake up and I wish I could go back to sleep. But then I get here and I find myself that much more encouraged. It is great to gather together. Today, as we kick off this new practice, which I'll share more about what that means here in a moment if you're new, but as we, as we kick off our new practice, I need to begin with a rather strong warning. You and I are engaged in war. There's no way to be passive about it. In fact, we're engaged in a war that many of us don't even know is raging, and if we're not careful, can cost us everything, including our very soul. See, we are engaged in a war that is not new, but certainly in the last 75 or 80 years has been amplified in a whole new way. Following World War II, there's a man named Edward Bernays. Are you familiar with that name? He's the nephew of Sigmund Freud, and, and he came along, he's known as the father of advertising. He looked at all that Nazi Germany did during World War II. And he said, how were they able to mobilize people so passionately behind something that was so misguided? And he asked this question. If Germans used propaganda for war, could we use it for peace? You see, for him, there was this driving reality that part of the benefit of war is it created mass production. And mass production is good for the economy and for people's pocketbooks. And the more that was produced, the more people would buy, the more they would need to produce. It was this constant cycle. And so Edward Bernays, the father of American advertising, said, can we use the same strategy of Hitler at wartime to mobilize people during peaceful times to 
to do the things we want them to do. And he created our modern American philosophy of marketing and advertisement based on two primary emotions of people. I want and I fear. And I believe that today in our culture, there's been a third one that has been added to this machine of marketing and consumption around us. I deserve. And if you begin to pay attention to any advertisements around you, you'll notice that you are bombarded with these three things. If only you have this product, all of your fears will go away. If only you have these clothes, if only you smell this good, if only these things, all of your wants will be fulfilled. And don't feel bad about it. You deserve to have these things. You've earned it. Now, before you begin to say, Adam, you're just kind of a nut job, it's clearly not all propaganda. I might be a nut job, but know this. In 2021, American companies spent almost $278 billion convincing you to buy things. And they anticipate in 2022 that number to increase to almost $285 billion. That's with a B. Now, you think that's great and stuff, but surely I'm not a fool. I don't fall for that. I only shop the sales. Why do they have the sales? Because they've spent $280 billion studying you and learning exactly what sales will convince you to buy something. And I promise you, you might have gotten a good deal, but they got a better one. They've done the math and done the research. Now, this is not some crazy whack job you should live off the grid and never buy anything, though that could be a lifestyle if you choose. But the reality is we are bombarded constantly with propaganda that tells us we need more in our life. And as we seek to become like Jesus, we have to learn what things around us will distract us from him. What things around us are actually intended to draw our hearts and our desires away from Jesus. What things are created that by themselves may not be bad. But if we're not careful, we'll take away the very goodness God wants to pour into you and to me. See, here in this place, we believe that everything we do is so that we can connect disconnected people to a growing and reproducing relationship with Jesus. You and me in our sin are in some way disconnected from God's goodness. If your life is filled with stress and anxiety and turmoil and pain, in some way there is a barrier between you and God. And no, it's not that that stress is necessarily your fault or that anxiety is something you've created. No, it's not that you aren't good enough or faithful enough. But we live in a broken world that is constantly trying to pull us away from God's goodness and his love and his peace and his joy. And so as followers of Jesus, we don't simply believe in the right God and sometimes do the right things we create new habits. We learn to follow after Jesus in his footsteps. 
We learn to practice the way of Jesus, to walk with him in such a way that we begin to spend enough time with him, we slowly become like him. Never becoming him, but becoming like him. And not only do we begin to become like him, we begin in turn to do the types of things he did. Now, let me just pause here for a moment. There's a temptation in the church anytime some kind of an expectation or a practice or a habit is put forth, there's a temptation to say, this is the line, and if you don't do this, you're not walking with Jesus. Or if you don't do this as well as me, you're not walking with Jesus as well as me. And that is complete garbage. See, Jesus' invitation to follow him came with no strings attached. You can follow Jesus and not practice any of the way of Jesus. And you can still be with him. You can still be his. That's okay. So as you hear me talk about today and over the next several weeks, practicing this way of Jesus, know this. This is purely an invitation. If you want in your life to experience more of God, if you want in your life to become more like Jesus and in turn to love other people like Jesus, this is one thing, not the only thing, but one thing you can begin to do to become like him. All right? So let's come back now. Edward Bernays, the father of advertising. If only we convince people that they need what they want and if only we can tap into the things they fear. What if they don't have? What if they miss out? The American advertising machine has flourished. Paul Mazur, if you're not familiar with who that is, he was one of the Lehman Brothers, that is, before the Lehman Brothers announced bankruptcy in 2008. If you don't know much about the Lehman Brothers, they uh, were the fourth largest lending institute in the, the world at, the, at one time. They were absolutely phenomenal in giving people more credit than people maybe deserved. And they were in large part the reason that the 2008 stock market completely crashed and tanked. Because they had given all of these mortgages to people who couldn't afford them, and then all these people defaulted, and they too defaulted. And when they defaulted, things spiraled downwards. Paul Mazur, one of these brothers, he said this, we must shift America from a needs culture to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old have been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. Think I'm just a conspiracy nut to say, there is a marketing machine that wants to convince you you need more? Consider this. The average American household, if you were to walk around your apartment or your house wherever you live, the average household has over 300,000 different items in it. Don't believe me? Just consider your bathroom. Between the soaps and the shampoos and the toothbrushes and the hair ties and all the things just in your bathroom. Not only this, we as a culture collectively in America, 
consume raw materials twice as fast as we did 50 years ago. Our average home size is three times bigger than it was 50 years ago. Our average home, even though our families are smaller, we have fewer kids, we wait until later to have kids because first we've been told we have to establish our career or our marriage or something else and yet we need a bigger house and a faster car quicker. Consider this, how many of you, let's be honest, who has a two-car garage here? Anybody? Okay, about half of you. I just want to see if this statistic holds true for you. 25% of Americans with two-car garages have so much stuff in their garage they can't park either of their cars in it. You're laughing, is that you? Okay, you're not that bad. How about this? An additional 32% of Americans with a two-car garage have enough stuff in their garage they can only park one car in it. Which means 55% of us have enough stuff that we can't utilize the garage we've paid for or are still paying for. In America, there's an average of 7.3 square feet of additional storage space for rent per human. You think this marketing machine has been successful in teaching us that we need more? Now, don't get me wrong. Stuff by itself is not a problem. But the problem is stuff clutters our life. And I don't just mean your house is messy. Let's be honest, here in the South, how many of you refuse to have me over for dinner because your house is dirty and you don't want to clean it? That's fair, thanks for being honest. <laughs> right, we have so much stuff that it's hard to host people because we're uncomfortable. What if they see my stuff? Why do you have it if you don't want people to see it? Get rid of it. It's not just about the stuff that's taking up space or the clutter that leaves things messy. No, this constant need for more this constant need to consume something new before we've even used up the old, it clutters our minds. It clutters our hearts. It makes it difficult to find peace because as soon as we find peace in the thing we're really enjoying and looking forward to, we find anxiety for the things we don't yet have. Anybody ever gone to the store and you purchased an item you were really looking forward to having? And before you even got home, you wish you'd purchased something different? Anybody in here too good to return stuff? I, I don't know what it is about my mother-in-law, and if she's watching right now, please forgive me. <laughs> my mother-in-law has an incredible gift. She is so good at showing love through buying gifts. But she's not very good at returning things that she doesn't actually want. So much so that several years ago, when Elijah was like three, she bought a little tiny like kid's rocking chair. It was adorable. Eden and Ezra still sit in it today, right? It's very comfortable for them. And she accidentally purchased three of them <laughs> and didn't return any of them just found new people to place it at their house. So she has one at her house and one at ours, and I think she sent one to my sister-in-law. We have a culture that is constantly consuming more. 
And this consumption takes away all of our energy and our passion and our strength. Anybody ever get to work, whether you're working from home or you're working from an office, and you sit down and your desk is so messy, you can't even begin to focus on work until you spend like two hours cleaning? And then you're so tired from cleaning, you don't want to work? That's the world we live in in America. And so we as Christians are invited by Jesus to begin to push against that machine, to push against this battle for our stuff and our minds and our souls, to say, that's not what I want to consume me. And this practice we're going to be talking about, one of simplicity, is one that has been used by Christians for 2,000 years and by Jewish people even before then. Christians have always seen the opportunity to say no to things as a really good opportunity to say yes to something else. So I'm not going to, over the course of the series, tell you that you have to get rid of everything in your house and simply have a lawn chair in your living room. Though, if you're a bachelor, you're welcome to do that. Nobody's stopping you. I'm not going to tell you that your stuff is inherently bad. But what I'm going to invite you into in this series is to begin to consider what is your stuff or your schedule doing to your heart. Are you filling your time and your space with so many things to do or stuff to purchase that is actually causing you to miss out on Jesus right in front of you? Today we're going to look at Luke chapter 12 in the Bible. In Luke chapter 12, this is one of the many places where Jesus talks about stuff and he talks about money. If you don't know this, Jesus, uh, about 25% of the time when he's talking, he's talking about money. Imagine if one out of every four sermons I preached was about your money. How many of you would keep coming back? Right? You probably wouldn't because in our culture, money and how we spend it and what we do with it is such a sensitive thing that the moment the pastor starts talking about money, we're like, he just wants my money. Here he goes again. And yet Jesus, one out of every four things he talks about is money. Because the truth is, where we spend our money and what we do with our money, and not just our money, our time and our energy, where we give our attention is what's going to flourish. So in Luke chapter 12, here's this story, beginning in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Right off the bat, we can see Jesus is being set up. Someone shows up and is like, Hey, tell him to give me my money. Anybody like being put in the middle of those kind of fights? Nobody does. Jesus does a wonderful job just sidestepping it all together. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And there's a little bit of irony here because literally Jesus is a judge. Like it says he's going to come back to judge the living and the dead. The whole world will one day be judged by him. And he looks at this guy and like, who put me in charge? <laughs> because for Jesus... Making decisions about your money isn't his priority. Helping you solve a fight with your brother is not what Jesus is about. He's like, look, none of this really matters. Let me just tell you a story. That's Jesus' usual MO, by the way. Jesus gets asked a difficult question. He's like, 
what are you doing? And he just sidesteps it and ignores it and then tells a story that confuses people. Next time somebody asks you a tough question, try it. See how it works. Here's the story he gives. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Before the story, he warns this man, look, I see you're coming here and you want to divide your relationship with your brother. You want to be separated from him over money. Let me warn you, your possessions can destroy you. Your wealth, your pursuit of wealth, your greed, your coveting, your desire for something more can be destructive. Then he goes on. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? That's a pretty good question, right? This is before the day and the age where there's 7.3 square feet of storage space per person and two car garages you can fill. I have all this stuff. God has blessed me abundantly. What do I do with it? It's a fair question. But as we see from Jesus, there's a danger here. This is the man's response. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. See what this guy is doing? In the story, Jesus tells a man has more than he needs. And so his response is, let me tear down the barns I already have. So not only let me be wasteful in what I have, let me be wasteful so that I can keep more of it. So that I can have more of it. And because I have more, I can eat and drink and be merry. Because I have everything I need, what could go wrong? And then Jesus continues the story. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is, or so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus tells a really difficult story. A story that I can relate to too well. And if you're being honest, perhaps you can as well. I have enough, but I could do with just a little bit more. I have plenty, but why not have more? What harm could come? The more I have, the, the more comfortable a couch, the better the clothes, the, the better the food, whatever it is you're filling it in with, then my life will be comfortable. See, we live in America that it's not just our marketing machine that is pushing us towards more. Our very foundation as a country establishes that every one of us has the right to what? Life, liberty, and Pursuit of happiness. And how do we find happiness? By buying more things. 
by building bigger barns, by having nicer stuff, by being able to eat and drink and be merry, then things will go well with me. But unfortunately, that is not the case. See, far too often when our pursuit is on having more, we easily become tempted to never have enough. When our pursuit is focused on, I just need one more thing, one new outfit, one new this, the problem is those things will never satisfy us. And when we're not satisfied, we're going to keep chasing after something new. And Jesus, he warns here, look, this very man, he dedicates his whole life to accumulating more, more than enough, more than he needs, simply more. And what he doesn't know is this very night his life will be taken from him. This very night he'll die. See, the truth is that none of us like to face. You and I are exactly equal. We came into this world naked and we will leave naked. Now, they might clothe you before they put you in a casket, but you will leave with nothing going with you. You can't take a single possession you acquire with you. Maybe you've heard it said, not of your possessions, but of your time, I'm too busy to die, right? Or perhaps the opposite is true, because you're so busy, you can hardly live. Maybe you and I need to practice living differently, to begin to simplify on purpose, to eliminate things. See, simplicity is an inward reality that changes our outward living. Simplicity is the reality that says, in God I have enough. Or maybe a step further, in Christ I am enough. I don't need a new outfit to feel better about myself. I, I don't need a bigger house or a faster jet ski or more tools, though I would love to have any of those things. All of my wants, and all of my fears, and even my sense of entitlement I deserve, all of these are laid bare in Jesus. And when we practice simplicity, intentionally organizing our exterior life to line up with what we desire on the inside, we begin to discover freedom. Freedom that says, I don't need those things that define me. Freedom that's not afraid of what if you don't have what somebody else has? Or what if people don't look at you with the respect you're hoping? When we find in Jesus everything we need, there is freedom that truly frees our heart. We'll go more into this in future weeks, but look at the very next verse, verse uh, 22. This is what Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. See, the truth is when our pursuit is focused on more, it will only create anxiety of not having enough. When we begin to organize our life to say, Jesus has given me enough. In Christ I am enough. We are free. Now over the course of these next several weeks, we'll talk about lots of different ways we can simplify.
Lots of different ways we can simplify our, our time and simplify our passions and simplify our pleasures and our clothes and our stuff. All sorts of ways to simplify. Let me tell you what simplicity is not. It's not a hip, cool fad. It's not a passing trend. Simplicity is about saying, Jesus, I want to be satisfied in you. Will you teach me how? And so as we learn this together, there will never be a moment where I say your stuff or your schedule is by itself inherently bad. In fact, I believe oftentimes the things we purchase and the things we spend our energy on are good things, just in excess. So how do we say no to the excess to enjoy fully what we already have? Jesus doesn't say here that stuff is bad or that people who have stuff are bad. What he does say, so it is, or so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. He says, look, become rich in Christ, become rich in God, become rich in all that he has for you, and none of the rest will matter. That's my hope and my prayer for you and me. And so as we go through this series, uh, you will find online at thepointknox.com, uh, you can click on the Connect Groups page, and there on that page will be seven weeks of practices, things you can begin to do to say, how do I organize my life in such an external way that my internal reality begins to change, that I can find peace, that I can find joy? How do I begin to practice simplicity differently? This first week, the two questions we're going to be asking are this. How do you feel about the idea of getting rid of things? Like, let's start with your schedule. What if you said no to something you really enjoy this week? How do you feel about that? What about your stuff? Your closet, or your kitchen, or your garage? How do you feel about the idea of emptying some of that out? Second question we'll be asking this week is this, what are you most attached to? What is the thing in your time or in your wallet, in your budget? What is the thing in your apartment or your house that you think if you were to not have that, life would be really tough. What is that? See, as we begin to ask these questions and wrestle through, how do we live simply? Every one of us can find in Christ freedom. Freedom that says it doesn't matter how much you want or what you fear or what you think you deserve. I promise Jesus is enough. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. You invite us to push against this propaganda of more, to push against this marketing machine that says if only we get what we want or we satisfy our fears or we get what we deserve, then we will be happy and satisfied in all ways. God, may we not be like the man who in his wastefulness tears down his barns to acquire more and in doing so, loses sight of what's most important. God, may we in turn be people willing to organize our external reality 
to begin to transform our internal reality. That in you, we can find everything we want. All of our fears can be satisfied. All of the things we think we deserve, we can see what you say about that. God, may we be a people who are centered not on the pursuit of stuff or the pursuit of happiness, but on the pursuit of holiness and the pursuit of you. Teach us to become like you, that we can live with you and for you all of our days. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue our worship now, we're going to continue through collecting an offering. We collect an offering every week in this place as a way to trust God with our finances and also as a way to partner with him and say, I believe in the things you're doing uh, through the point and the people here, and I want to join in that endeavor. Now, there's one quick thing I need to share with you. How many of you in the past have given online at some point or another? Anybody? Awesome. A couple years ago, we switched to a platform called Rebel Give because it saved us thousands of dollars every year in processing fees, and it made your gifts go further in the things we could do. And part of that switch meant if you gave a gift using uh, your bank account in ACH withdrawal, it was a completely free transaction for you and for us, which freed up a lot of money. Now, this Rebel Give organization has undergone some really cool structural changes, and with that, it means we have an opportunity to save an additional $1,000 or more every single year. And we as a church firmly believe that we should be as, as good and faithful with every penny God gives to us, and so we're excited to save this money, but that does mean there will be a slight change for those of you who give online, and I wanted to make you aware of it. The bank withdrawal, the ACH withdrawal, will sometime in the next couple of weeks begin to cost 25 cents for every gift you make online. Which means if you make a gift online automatically or it's something that comes out once a week, at most you're spending an extra $13 a year. And to be honest, if that's too much for you, that's okay. Deduct it from your gift and call it fair. Or if you're like, I can, I can swallow that up to $13 extra a year, Thank you. We appreciate it. I just wanted to make you aware of that so when you see that extra quarter tacked onto your gift, you're not suddenly surprised. Why am I being charged a quarter? That doesn't go to us. It doesn't even go to the company that is uh, doing the processing. It goes entirely to the bigger corporate processing world. I don't know how that works. But um, if you came prepared to give a gift today and you would like to do so with cash and check, Cash and check is always free, and there's no transaction fee for you or me, all right? You can do so in the popcorn buckets in the back as you exit later, and if you fill out one of those physical connect cards in front of you, you can place those in the popcorn buckets as well. If you came prepared to give online and you would like to give online with an ACH or a, a debit card transaction, you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the corner. Whatever you give and however you give, know this, we don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Now, this is the part of the service where uh, you guys have asked questions, and I get to do my best to respond. So what questions came in today? We have a good chunk of questions today um, and a couple comments. So I'll just, I'll just jump right in. Perfect. What if getting rid of your stuff leads to others accumulating more stuff? For instance, a yard sale. Yeah. Um, 
the reality is unless you throw it all in the dump, it's going to somebody somewhere. And I would discourage throwing it in the dump if it's still perfectly usable. Because somebody's going to want it, somebody might need it, and perhaps you could, with a yard sale, make a few dollars that could help you get out of debt or live generously. So what if it leads to somebody else accumulating stuff? The truth is we can't control what other people do. If they're not living simply, all we can do is begin to live that way and then invite them to see the joy that it brings us and maybe they'll join us in that endeavor. So don't worry if you give away your stuff and other people get more stuff, that's okay. <laughs> um, next question, is this sermon, oh, sorry, I had hair. Okay, is this sermon primarily concerned with status symbols, important heirlooms, collections of baseball cards? I'm having trouble finding the actionable part. This is anything you own that has begun to own you. And what I mean by that is, you may have 27 coffee cups in your cupboard. Do you drink 27 cups of coffee at one time? Yes. Emily does, I've seen her. Do you have 27 people in your apartment to host so you can give them all coffee at one time? Like if not, why have it? I know, I'm calling you out. I'm saying that because I know when we start going through our stuff, that's gonna be one area I'm gonna have to empty, right? right? They all have a meaning. So it's not necessarily um, that collection of baseball cards. It's just the quantity. Overall, we all live in a culture with more. Uh, unless you're a bachelor, because every bachelor I know, with one or two exceptions, has a lawn chair and a TV, and that's their living room. That was me, and my wife was like, I can't live like this. I was like, why not? This is fine. Uh, <laughs> But the, the reality is maybe it's, it's your decor and your knickknacks, maybe it's your coffee cups, maybe it's your closet and you have like 35 or 40 shirts that you keep from high school or college because they're you know, sentimental but you will never fit in those shirts again. But they're still filling your closet with stuff. Um, so as we get into this, there will be a lot more actionable. Every one of us has stuff that fills our life. And if it's not stuff, it'll certainly be your schedule doing things because that's what you're supposed to do, and in turn, not actually taking time to be with Jesus. So there's something for all of us to simplify. Sweet. Um, uh, quick aside, from, uh, not a question, but a prayer request. Asking for prayer, having a stress test in the morning at 11.30 a.m. on February 11th, a CT scan on my chest and lungs. Mm. Is there a name associated with that? There, there wasn't. Okay. Uh, well, Jesus, we asked the test would bring healing, would bring clarity, and would um, help the doctors know what's the next step. And we pray for peace and the weight and the journey. Amen. Amen. All right. Next question. Okay. Do other economic systems support a simpler lifestyle in a more conducive way? What are the lessons we can learn from other economic systems and apply to our own? And what must we avoid in shaping our own personal economic behavior? Whew, there's a lot there. <laughs> our human nature is to desire more. So in all cultures, there is a reality that desiring more is going to happen. Um, but the flip side is some cultures actually celebrate simplicity in different ways. Like, have you ever been to Ikea? Their stuff is super simple until you try to put it together, and then it's not. 
Um, if you live in Europe where apartments are smaller or houses are smaller, they generally have fewer things because they see it as kind of ridiculous to have garages full of stuff you don't use. Or even worse, to pay for a storage unit for stuff you don't use but you don't want to get rid of. So there are some cultures that are better at having less uh, than we are in America. Um, no culture is perfect and everybody is tempted to more. And here in our culture where $280 billion is spent trying to convince you you need more, it's just a harder fight to push against. So specific economic systems, I don't know. This is not a push for socialism or democracy or communism or fascism. Like That's not what I'm talking about. This is just a reality that there is a, a push in our culture that says you need more in order to be, to be successful, to be happy, to be whatever you want to fill that in with. And simplicity is learning to say, actually less is more and less is better. Um, next question. In the spirit of simplicity, can Vicar Adam preach his next sermon in a cassock? Follow-up question, what's that? Um, for simplicity's sake, of course. Yeah, if you don't know what a cassock <laughs> is, it's a really traditional church garb that pastors would wear. If you see a priest or somebody wearing like the Matrix black long dress, ah. right, that's buttoned up all the way down the middle, that's a cassock. Uh, and yes, Adam would look very simple in that, but he doesn't own one, so then he'd have to go out and buy one, uh, so maybe it would be less simple. The whole thing, it's a whole thing. All right, next question. What denomination is this church? We are a Lutheran church, Missouri Synod. And if you know nothing about what that means, cool, come ask. Um, I will be quick to tell you the only person here that has to be a Lutheran is me. <laughs> and in two years when Adam takes uh, his vows at ordination, he too will have to be a Lutheran. Everybody else come as you are. That's good. Okay, last, uh, last text in situation. Um, miracle or not? When my building got evac evacuated a few weeks ago, we couldn't go to the shelter like most of the residents did. We were basically thrown out on the street. For her, it was a traumatic experience. Not for me, though, because I knew the Lord would take care of us. Money came our way for gas and groceries, enough that we were able to help those who let us stay at their place for a few days. That is what God did for us this month. That's awesome. Praise God. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, I also find part of why simplicity excites me so much is I believe that when we begin to simplify our life, those big hiccups and challenges that come our way are way more manageable. And that's super exciting. So I'm glad God provided for you and in turn you were able to provide for others. Um, was that everything for today? That was all of them, yeah. Cool. Well, that wasn't too tough. You're welcome to text in throughout the week. That number is always online. If I see it early enough, I will respond to it Wednesday afternoon on social media. If not, I'll respond next Sunday morning. Uh, as you go today, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, 
simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. 